0: You know, if I were to start the sermon this morning with an illustration about rugby, I'd probably lose you uh, because rugby's not very popular in our area. I, just last week, I had a guy mention rugby to me. He was talking about rugby, and I had no idea what he was talking about because I don't know how rugby works. Uh, I know that you probably need to be really strong because the guys who play rugby are really strong, and you need to be really fast. But other than that, I'm lost. Uh, And if I were going to try to communicate something to you and use an illustration, I probably wouldn't use rugby because you're not familiar with it. I'd use American football, right? Or basketball or fishing, something that you are familiar with, something that is common in our uh, Midwest American culture here. When Jesus walked among us, he used illustrations that the people could relate to. And he lived in an agricultural society. He lived in a particular place at a particular time with a particular group of people, and they were agricultural. All around them were farms and gardens where people were growing crops. And so he told all of these stories that they could relate to because they were familiar with seeds and crops and harvest time. And he has a story or a reference to that in uh, Matthew chapter uh, 10, but also he's told them all over the place. And there's a particular one that I want to I mention to you in Mark chapter 4. Because in Mark chapter 4, Jesus says that the kingdom of God is like a man who plants a seed in the ground, and then he goes to sleep at night, and the seed sprouts and grows And he himself does not know how. He goes to bed and the crop grows and he doesn't really understand how it happens. It says, For the earth yields crop by itself, first the blade, a little sprout of grass, then the head, and after that the full grain. But when the grain ripens, immediately he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Now probably in your life, maybe at your job or at your school or in your family, there are things that happen and you're like, what is going on? Why is this happening, right? Yesterday, it was dead at the office. Today, it is just nonstop. Yesterday, everyone in the family was fine. Today, everyone's throwing up and sick. Where did we get this illness from? Yesterday, everybody was fine. Today, everybody's stressed out and and intense, right? And in your life, there are these things that happen and we don't really understand Why? Great example. This morning, came to the church and went to print my sermon and the growth track materials like I have done many times before. Nothing. Just won't work. Says it's printing. Nothing's happening at the printer, right? And I go and I I turn off the printer, I turn it back on because that's what every great IT guy does, right? And then I restart the computer and then I restart the network and I connect both of them to the network and nothing Right, And earlier I said to someone, I said, pray that I get my my sermon. And they said, what's wrong with it? And I said, I don't know. (laughs) It's just a mystery. And there are things in life that happen. By the way, I'm not fancy. I'm too old to have an iPad, but that's the reason I've got an iPad up here is because I never got to print my sermon, so I have to have the notes on an iPad. There are things that happen in life, but we just don't. It's a mystery. It doesn't really make sense to us. We can't understand it all. And what Jesus was saying is that even though that man, he doesn't understand how the crops grow, he doesn't understand photosynthesis. You don't either, right? You might recognize that word from school, but you don't understand how photosynthesis works. When it comes time to harvest that pepper in your garden or to pluck that tomato, you don't say, you know what? I don't know how this works. I'm not going to eat it. No, you pluck it. You, You take it. You reap it. And there are things about our relationship with God, and the work that God is doing here around us that we don't really comprehend. Sometimes we are able to figure out, other times it's a mystery. The kingdom of God is a mystery. To further emphasize the point, the next word that Jesus says in Mark chapter 4 is that the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, which is when it's sown, it is the smallest seed, but it can bring a large tree. It's something small that we can't really grasp, but it makes this huge difference. It's a mystery, and it's powerful. It's a mystery, and it has this outsized impact. We're starting the year with 21 days of prayer for this reason. Because this thing that we are in called life is a mystery to us. It doesn't really make sense. There's so much that is broken, so much that is wrong, that we don't understand why it is so messed up. But we know that there is someone who can make a difference, who can bring an impact, that God is able to do this. We know that what we need God to do is something that only God can do. And it's a beautiful thing that we're able to trust God Bring our needs and our prayers to Him. Trust Him with those needs and go to sleep. I know that even though we sleep, God is still at work. He's still on the throne. He's still working. We know that what we need God to do, only God can do. And so it's with that in mind that I want you to look with me. And I've been saying Matthew chapter 10, but it's actually the end of 9, right before we get into 10. We're going to look at first. Matthew 9 and verse 35. So if you were at 10, just look up a few verses at 9.35. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when He saw the multitudes, He was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary weary, And scattered like sheep, having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest. And I want you to underline those words, Lord of the harvest, to send out laborers into his harvest. I want you to specifically see in this passage, That it refers to the work of the harvest, a passage where we're called to be laborers in the harvest. That there is a need for laborers, but that the response is not, get to work. The response is not, jump into the fields. The response is, pray to the Lord of the harvest. There is a need all around us. I'm sure that if we had a few moments and we started to share prayer requests and we got beyond the things that immediately come up, the people in our congregation that are sick right now or the the decision that you have to make right now, and we started to think about the needs that are all around us in our community and in our world, there is so much need. There's so much all around us that there is need of that we cannot undo. We cannot fix ourselves. We need God. We need the Lord of the harvest to work on our behalf. So even though this passage of Scripture is about the work, it's about the labor in the harvest, even though it's about a lack of laborers, by the way, the kingdom of God is always short-staffed. We well, always could use one more on the team. Jesus' immediate reaction is prayer. And who is this prayer directed towards? This prayer is directed to the Lord of the harvest. But when Jesus is speaking of the harvest, He's not talking about crops. And all around us, all around the world, there are people that, man, when it comes time for their plants to go into the ground, for their seeds to be planted... They're hoping and they're praying that it's going to bring a good harvest. That there's going to be a major increase. And there are tribes and people that they would have dances and ceremonies and sacrifices, rain dances that they would do because they knew that so much of what was going to happen to that crop was outside of their control some of you have tried your hand at gardening right and you know that no matter what you try <laughs> you just you couldn't make that crop grow right so much of it is outside of your control now you know that there's some ideal conditions right some of us our gardens failed because we failed to water it it didn't have good sunlight it was in the shade right or it was planted too early and it was cold, we know that there can be ideal conditions and you can make sure that your crop, that your garden, that your plants are watered well and they have sunlight. But even when you provide all of that, there's so much of it that is outside of your control. People all around the world are hoping for divine help when it comes to their crops. That God, that the gods, that nature, that whoever, that someone would send the rain that they need for their crops. But Jesus isn't talking about crops. He's not talking about farms. He's not talking about your peppers in your garden. I know they're important to you, but that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about something much more important. What is the harvest that he is referring to? The harvest he's referring to is what he's just seen, the multitudes. The harvest is the people all around Jesus who need help. And he refers to it as a harvest because it's something that people can relate to. It's an idea that they can understand and they can grasp. You know what it means to work in a harvest. You know what it means to pick the peas or to pick the beans or to pluck the corn. You can see that. It gets a lot less clear when we're talking about working with people. Right? When we work with people, we often find ourselves saying saying things like, I don't know what's wrong with them. Right? (laughs) I don't know what your problem is. It's a little more difficult To quantify and identify we know this about our own lives in our own hearts we say things like I don't know what my problem is I don't know what's wrong with me I don't know why I can't get my act together some of you said that this week as your New Year's resolution didn't make it into the second week of the year right and you said man what is my problem We know that there is work that needs to be done in our lives. We know that there's work that needs to be done around us, but we don't know what the work is. What is it that needs to happen? What are the ideal conditions that are needed for this crop, this change, this difference to be made? What Jesus sees is He sees people all around Him in desperate need of help. And every one of them is different. Every one of them unique. You know, there's a lot of similarities in harvest. You can give someone suggestions on what they could do to make their tomatoes grow. They live in the same climate, they're growing the same plant. Maybe their soil is a little different. You can tell them what kind of things they should add to the soil so it's ideal. But there's a lot of similarity. But we get to talking about people, and it's all different. And our backgrounds, and our personalities, and our hang-ups are all unique. And what works for this person, so that they can see change in their life, is going to be completely different for this person. There's no standardized approach. There's no combine that can go and just plan all the change that needs to happen and then come back and just harvest all the rows all together. Jesus sees people all in desperate need of help. Something that we talk about here at Faith Church is that disciples are handmade. But when we come to know Jesus and learn to follow him, that there isn't some standardized assembly line process, but it it requires an artisan. It requires the disciple maker to work specifically with that person. What Jesus is talking about here is there are needs all around us. There are people desperate, and we need laborers to go and handcraft and work in those lives. And the reason that Jesus is saying this is because when he saw the multitudes and he saw their need, he was moved with compassion. This phrase, moved with compassion, it it literally means that he pitied them so much that he felt it in his stomach. He felt it in his chest. When was the last time that you pitied someone so much that you felt it. That you had a, a visceral, physical reaction. You teared up. You had a pit in your stomach. That's what Jesus feels when he sees the multitudes. He has a physical reaction. And here we have this, this beautiful picture of Jesus as God, but also as man. He's able to see people's need in a way that only God can, but Jesus as man is physically reacting to the emotions that he feels when he sees the people in need. Why? Because he had compassion on them. it so wasn't just that he felt sorry for them. It wasn't just that it was sad. We've probably all seen something and we say, man, that's sad. This is more than sadness. This is compassion. It's love. And when God sees, when Jesus sees the people all around him in need, he is moved with compassion on them. He loves them. It probably doesn't surprise you that you came to church this morning and you heard that God loves you. Unfortunately, that word loses a lot of meaning because we use it all the time, right? I love football and I love Philly cheesesteaks, right? And I love this and I love that. And it kind of seems to lose some of its meaning. God loves you with a compassion. He loves you with a desire. He loves you with an affection that he feels deep in his stomach. He's moved by the need in your life. And while I look out this morning and I see a group of people and I can't know the background and the story of every person here and what it is that you you faced this week or what you struggled with this morning or last night, God sees all of that and responds to all of that with a feeling of affection and love for you. He's moved with compassion. And as Jesus is making his way through the villages and he's showing up in these synagogues and he's preaching to these people and he's helping them, he does not become jaded. He doesn't become cynical. It doesn't become something that is just another day at the work of being Jesus. He is moved with compassion. He's moved. Why is he so moved? The passage tells us that Jesus sees them and he sees that they're scattered that they're thrown, that they lay in the wake of a mighty tempest is the idea here. You probably, if not in person, on the Weather Channel have seen the destruction after a hurricane or after a tornado, after a mighty wind has come through and just blown everything. And it's all a mess. And there's stuff everywhere. I remember after the tornado rolled through Kentucky a couple of years ago. I was, was driving through, and there's just a spot on the interstate. If you've driven down the Penny Rail Parkway, you've probably seen it. There's just a spot where you can see where the tornado passed over the interstate, and just trees in this wide path in both directions just laid flat. And you think, man, what it would do to a person or a home in that path. That's what Jesus sees when he looks at the people. He sees that their lives have been weighed lace, laid to waste by this great storm of life and the brokenness, the throne. He says that they were fainting, weary. The word means grieved, melancholy, sad, depressed. This word could literally be used for someone who was in such disarray or so heartbroken that they were plucking their hair out, pulling their hair out. What Jesus sees when He looks at the people that showed up to synagogue, probably in their Sabbath best, looking put together, He could see that in their hearts and in their lives, they were scattered and they were grieved and they were heartbroken And they were disappointed, and worse yet, they had no shepherd to show them the way. Scattered like sheep having no shepherd. And he's going to talk about the harvest here in a minute, and it's going to be that agricultural, but he uses another analogy here that he loves sheep and a shepherd. And this is familiar to them as well, because all around them there are shepherds with sheep out in fields. They were familiar with how shepherds lived and worked with their sheep. How shepherds had to show sheep where to go to find food, to find water. That if they didn't have someone leading them, if they got separated from the herd, they would wander off into the wilderness, get themselves stuck, wander into places where there was nothing to eat, and they would starve. Remember, there's a book written by a, a guy who's literally a shepherd in, in Ireland, and he, he wrote about some of the, the ideas that are expressed in Scripture, and he, he talks about the passage that says that we, like sheep, have all gone astray. And he said that what happens for sheep is they're in the, they're in the meadow with the rest of the flock, and the shepherd's there looking over them, and And that sheep sees a a little tuft of grass over there that looks better than all the grass right here because, you know, the grass over there is always better looking. And so the sheep wanders over there to that tuft of grass that looks so great and munches down on it and then looks and sees another clump of grass that looks so much better and then wanders over there to that clump of grass and just does that successively again and again and again. And finally, the sheep's stomach is full and it looks up from constantly going from little patch of grass to little patch of grass, and there's no other sheep to be found. It's wandered astray. Wandered off by itself and has no one to show it the way home. When Jesus looks out on the the crowds, when he sees the people, what he sees is he sees people who've wandered astray, who've gone from one thing to the next, looking For what will fill them and then finally looked up and realized they're all alone and there's no one to show them the way they had no shepherd and they fainted and they're scattered i want you to see that jesus's immediate response to this is to pray to the Lord of the harvest, the one who's able to fix all of these problems, the one who's able to corral lost sheep and to help grieving hearts and to show people their pathway. That's what he ends chapter 9 with. But if you look at chapter 10... The beginning of chapter 10 is that Jesus commissions the 12 disciples. He names them all. Their names are written down here as these are the 12 that are Jesus' closest followers. They're all listed out here. Some are going to be more successful in following Jesus than others. And then Jesus sends them out in verse 5. These 12 Jesus sent out commanded them saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles. That day will come, but it's not time yet. Do not enter to a city of the Samaritans. That time will come, but it's not time yet. Verse 6, but rather go to the who? The lost sheep of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. For freely you have received and freely give. Jesus' immediate response is to pray to the Lord of the harvest that He would send laborers out into the harvest and then Jesus then sends laborers out into the harvest. And what do they do? They go to people who have no shepherd and He gives them a command. He tells them, preach and let people know the kingdom of God is at hand. Go and tell them the truth. Show them the way. Preach the good news. In other words, persuade people of the true message. And the earliest days of Christianity... The the idea of following Jesus, of trusting in him to be forgiven of your sins and then follow him, they didn't refer to it as Christianity until later. What they referred to it is the way. They would go and tell others of the way. They would explain more fully to others the way. They were showing people the way they were showing them the path to God is through Jesus. Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. He was showing them the way. These people who were like sheep without a shepherd, they were being shown the way. Then they were to go and heal the sick and cast out demons. What's that? Healing the sick is restoring the brokenness that was all around them. It was taking how God had created this world to be perfect and wonderful and everyone to experience His goodness and then sin had come in and broken everything. And if you're here today and you're sick or you're you're struggling, know that that is the result of sin in the world causing you harm and seeking to destroy you. When Jesus came, He pushed all of that back as a picture of the fact that He will heal all of the sickness and restore all of the brokenness and make it all right. So the disciples go and they heal the sick. And they cast out demons. What's that? That's freeing people's souls from what binds them. It's freeing them from the addictions that hold them down. It's freeing them from the greed that causes them to constantly work and work and try to accumulate. It's freeing them from the sin that constantly holds them back from fellowship with God. What are the disciples doing? They're laboring in the harvest. They're working in the rows of broken people to bring about restoration and freedom and show them the way. They're going among the wandering sheep to help the grieving ones and feed them and show them the way. And what's beautiful about this is not only are they being sent out by the Lord of the harvest to go and do this work, when they go, Jesus literally breaks them up into groups of two. And elsewhere, there's 72 of them. And he breaks them up into groups of two. And they go in all of these different directions. You could say that they scattered around. But that's not what Jesus did. Because this passage of Scripture says he does not scatter them into the villages. Rather, he sent them. Some time ago, Pastor Eric pointed this out to me. That there is this sense of thrownness in our lives. This sense of being just laid out by the storm of life. And we feel like the the job that we're in, the situation that we're in, that we were just thrown there. It doesn't have any meaning. It's just where we landed. But when we come to know Jesus, not only does He restore what is broken and free us from our sin and show us the way, He allows us to no longer be thrown and scattered, but rather to be sent. be sent. Who can do this? The Lord of the harvest can do this. And the field that you're in and the need in your life or the need in your family is different from the need of the person in the pew next to you or the people in your family. But know this, that He is the Lord of the harvest. And the harvest is the brokenness and the work and the calling that's all around us. He's not just the God of good crops, He's not just the God of ideal conditions. He's the God who heals the sicknesses and gives freedom to the broken and shows people the way and allows us to be sent. That is the harvest that he is the Lord of. And this is all work that we would love to see accomplished. This is all work that we know needs to happen in our own lives and in the lives of those around us, but it's all work that we can't do ourselves, that only the Lord of the harvest can bring to pass. The Bible tells us that when the disciples go out, that they return and they tell Jesus about the incredible things that have happened. And Luke 9 tells us that they come back and they say, Jesus, it was incredible. Demons are subject to us. We're able to cast them out. It was was amazing. The demons listened to us. And Jesus says, Don't rejoice that you have this power, but rather rejoice that your names are written in the book of life, that they're written down in heaven. And Tim Keller has this this great illustration that in those days, it was not everybody got their name written down, not many people wrote. If there was a census taken in the town, you only had your name written down if you were a citizen. You were only remembered if you were somebody really, really important. And when the disciples were able to go and do these things, they felt important. They felt like they had a power and they had authority. And Jesus said, listen, don't worry about your names being written down here on earth. But rather... Give God thanks. Have joy that your names are written in heaven because this is his harvest. It's his work. And we're blessed to be in it, to be part of it. So we don't pray to the Lord of of the harvest so he makes it possible for us to do great things. We pray to the Lord of the harvest. We call upon him because he is able to bring great things to pass. And we get to be part of it. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer.